0: The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek Narrated by Kurt Bonham Chapter 20 The Big Book The spinning sensation stops. I'm aware of my hands gripping the brass rail. I'm aware of my feet now planted firmly on a floor. I'm aware I'm no longer in the Lavender and Roses Society lobby with Velma reading her romance. I'm standing in front of a massive book sitting on a chest-high pedestal. This isn't a book to read on the bus, because it's about three feet long by three feet wide and three feet thick. It reminds me of John James Audubon's Birds of America, which is on display at the Audubon Center at Riverlands near St. Louis. Audubon's four-volume set was heavy. I know because I tried to lift it before I found out each volume weighs 56 pounds. This book, on the pedestal, easily weighs 300 pounds. The book's cover is adorned with hundreds of miniature, individually framed images, hundreds of minuscule but discernible initials and symbols, large raised brass corners, and a circular brass image of intertwined lavender and roses in its center. Pages beneath the book's cover look new and crisp and glow with a faint golden amber. It's the only light source in the room. Under the book, on the pedestal, is a waist-high control panel covered in dials and knobs and buttons and a lone flip switch. Are we still in the Lavender and Roses Society? I ask. Aware, sapphire Rizzo's and Machiavelli are behind me. Yes and no. Rizzo steps beside the pedestal, facing me. My gaze is stuck on the mesmerizing book. What the heck is this book? How much do you know about physics and pocket dimensions? Rizzo says, "Who me? The handyman slash knight slash small-town musician is a super-secret science scholar." I think not. So I know nothing, I say. I got an A in physics and trigonometry. Sapphire moves and stands next to me. Of course you did. I lather my response with sarcasm. I'm going to share with you one of the greatest Lavender and Roses society secrets, Rizzo says. The society is made up of multiple pocket dimensions, and this space we're in is... One of those pocket dimensions. So we're still in the society? A feeling of deja vu creeps over me. Yes, Rizzo says, as if we've had this conversation many times before. But we're not, Sapphire says. Correct, he says. Is this more magic? I ask. It's science. Ancient advanced Atlantean astrophysics, to be specific, which Professor Stone found on one of his many expeditions. I glance at Rizos. The illumination from the book makes his smug smile less intimidating. Why didn't we use your elevator? Sapphire asks. You said it can go anywhere. Ah, the elevator's a quantum tunnel, and the space we're in is a pocket dimension. They're completely different. And Mr. Daniels has to see this book before we enter the society's inner spaces, Rizzo says. I rub my temples. Magic and science make my head hurt. I'm more of a hands-on kind of guy. So why are we in this pocket to mention? He points to the humongous book. Again, what's special about this book? I ask. It's more than a book. Think of someone. Some place, some time. When you touch the book, the book shows you what you need to see, what you have to see, what has to be seen. Rizos's tone is persuasive and moving, as if he's been dying to tell another person, another soul, this fact a long time. Can you see people you love who you have lost? Sapphire's voice strains. Carries a hint of hope and longing. Yes, and so much more, Rizzo says. I feel a rush run up my legs. Every fiber shouts at me to touch the book, find my parents. But I don't touch. I need more information. What's the book called? I make air quotes around book. Practical Applicable Uses of Pocket Dimensional Travel Theory by A.S. Stone, Ph.D. Original work published 1882, Rizzo says. Sapphire's breath hitches. Abel Solomon Stone. He always said you were a clever one, Miss Anjou. Rizzo wags his finger. He walks over to the pedestal panel, presses buttons, twists dials, flips the lone switch. Open the book, Mr. Daniels. Excitement flutters deep in the pit of my stomach. I hesitate, swallow the lump in my throat. I place my hands on the behemoth beast of a book. There's a tingle in my arms. All the hairs stand at attention. An incredible surge flows up my arms and down my legs. I open the book at a random place. A melody plays. Sapphire pushes air between her teeth. That's Paganini's 24 Caprices. It's his most technically difficult piece. She closes her eyes, pushes out her lower lip, drops her head, and mimics the motion of playing her violin. The music picks up in pace. Then, jumbled pieces of colored stained glass fly from the pages and form a swirling pattern of musical notes moving in sync with the tune. Sapphire imitates a conductor. A golden dot floats above the book and grows into sheet music. The music and notes change. Sapphire grins. That's Cantabile. It's his most beautiful work. The stained-glass notes transform into a new series, and the music being played transitions. Sapphire's face fills with an expression of pure fascination. That's L'estrange, Paganini's most lavish virtuoso and special effects piece. The imagery is spellbinding. The ghostly orchestra music continues. The musical notes in the air transform into an image of a baby wrapped in a blue blanket asleep in a cradle. Light floods the room. The apparition of the cradle in a small room with a window remains. And through the window, darkness The baby coos. My ears perk. I hear voices. A beautiful, melodic conversation in another language, rich in a clear staccato. Is that Italian? The walls of our room fade away, and I'm exposed to the outside elements wet, salty air sprays forcing me to blink and turn my head. The sounds of waves pound a shoreline I can't see. Do you hear the ocean? I ask. A blustery wind carries in autumn leaves. They swirl, surround me. The leaves transform into a murder of cawing crows. In the center of a mass of feathers and wings, a beautiful raven-haired woman clad in a renfair stylized dress. Wildflowers decorate her hair. She's pouring a glowing bluish-green liquid over three pieces of parchment. My pulse pounds. A shiver tickles my insides. My toes go numb. A bone-chilling fog invades and lingers and looms around the cradle and baby. Meow. Machiavelli rubs against my leg. My heart jolts. Damn it, Mac. Do you see this too? Machiavelli seems to nod, but then licks his paw. I glance around. Just me and Mac watching the dark-haired woman and the baby in the cradle. Sapphire? Detective Rizzos Silence. Mac mews, and I believe I understand him, because the thought, the book shows you what you need to see, pops in my head. I turn my attention back to the woman. She looks at me. It's the kind of look that says she knows I'm here. She furrows her forehead, flings her head back, laughs, and then resumes pouring liquid on the parchment. (laughs) Mac, did she just look at us and laugh? Mac meows. I force down the breath stuck in my chest. The parchment transforms into sheets of music. The woman holds the music up high, releases the papers. The sheets drift, then spin in a circle above her, spinning faster, 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 and the papers turn into a bright blue pulsing orb of light. A satisfied smile smears the woman's mouth. A violin materializes, which she lifts to her chin. She plays a haunting, ominous melody. Thunder rumbles. A black shape forms and moves toward the woman, growing in size as it gets closer. Another murder of crows. They fly around her, shoot up, take to the dark skies, circle. Their rattles, clicks and caws of mourning, of gloom, of dread, grate on my nerves. The woman and crows perform in unison a sad, soulful, somber song. Then the crows fall silent, dive at the ground, Disappear at the woman's feet in a flickering orange sinkhole. Fire and brimstone rush up from the hole in a cloud. Tormented screams bellow from deep within the open hollow. A hot stench from the pit engulfs me. The foul odor stings my nostrils, burns my eyes. The hairs on the back of my neck stand up. My feet at the ready if I need to run. Run. Mac growls at the behemoth shape emerging from the pit. Mac himself doubles in size. The hulking figure shambles out from the hole, lumbers toward the woman, and then towers over her, a two-horned beast, too much like the devil. The devil beast curls its gruesome, grotesque lips, its stare cold, cruel, malicious. Dread, fear... Oppressive gloom grips me. My heart pounds. I want to run, but I can't. The foul creature turns its attention to me and speaks. Impetuous warrior bard. A savage voice. The ground rumbles and shakes and turns to decaying graveyard dirt. Vines burst forth and entangle and bind Mac and me. Struggling makes the vines wrap faster and stronger around my arms, neck, waist, and legs. The vines burn and sear my skin. Dizziness. Darkness. Dilemma. You shall not stop this epic ritual warrior, Bard. The devil's voice burrows deep inside my head. This boy child's been promised to me. I didn't want to believe Rizos when he said, what if some or all of the Paganini rumors are true? I feel my insides flip. I feel the urge to release my bladder. I feel the urge to hurl. There's the intense realization that the woman is Paganini's mother and the baby Paganini. Paganini's mother puts the violin down next to her child's cradle. Her face flickers with fierce determination. The devil laughs. His belly and chest shake. (laughs) Doom and despair swim inside my gut. Woeful, god-awful sounds issue from the pit. Muffled drums, tormented wails spew in disjointed harmony. The caterwauling rivets inside to my spine. Then... Quick as the vines lashed me and captured me, they release me. Paganini's cradle and the violin float, pulse, and change into a ball of mist and flame. From the ball of light, an otherworldly violin plays. My skin tingles, my fingers twitch, my toes throb. This bewitching music tugs me, calls me, consoles me touches my heart and soul in a way no music has before. It's joy, elation, overwhelmingly sublime. Still, sinister light emanates from the pit. Mist and steam and flames lick. A low din builds, amplifies into a mixture of thunderous applause and a thousand sated voices. Paganini's mother tips her head back, her face etched in an uncontainable ecstatic fervor. She reaches out to the baby, then hesitates. The baby and Cradle get lost in the light of the glowing orb. The orb sails through the air into the devil's hand. The baby stops cooing. A fearful wail erupts. The cry sends a ripple of shivers up my spine, carries on into a chill ripping through my gut, I want to save Paganini. The cradle drops from the blue orb of mist and lands softly. The orb spins and out flies musical notes, which descend down, down, down into the cradle. Eerie lights and sorrowful shrieks copulate in a cacophony of violins, guitars, and screams rising to a crescendo. Then, darkness... The Lavender and Roses Society's big book comes into focus. My hands rest upon it. A normal, cat-like Mac purrs beside me. I'm back. But I've seen baby Paganini, his mother, and the devil. Thanks to the book? Coming up next in The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek. Chapter 21 Rizos's plan